as they're leaving, I don't know uh, if you guys have been thinking about this a little bit, but I've been aware um, just how deeply divided things feel in our country and our culture right now. Um, whether we're talking about, um, you know, Bruce to Caitlyn Jenner, uh, whether we're talking about marriage uh, between a man and a woman, whether, wh whatever the issue is, one of the phenomenons that's taken place is that there's no conversation anymore. Um, it feels like that if you uh, take a position, if you sort of, uh, uh, if you try to at least take a biblical position on something that, that without, without being able to uh, express your heart and, and how you think about it, you're just kind of immediately labeled a hater. And, and so uh, they've taken away, we've taken away the conversation. Sometimes we've done it to ourselves out of our fear uh, and out of our own issues. Uh, sometimes the media has taken away that discussion. And, and so there's this great divide and there's no place to have a conversation. And, and you know that, uh, that there is a conversation that needs to happen, that we need to have a place where we can talk about the fact that yes, we probably, we take a different perspective, we have a different view, but, but we love you guys. We wanna have a relationship with you. We wanna be, uh, we wanna serve you. And, and to, so to have those avenues cut off is really painful and it's confusing sometimes, I think. And, and so it causes us to sort of step back and, and be quiet and not engage. Uh, and that's not good either. And so we're living in a country that, that feels like it's continually getting more polarized by the day, and, and the question that we're gonna ask this morning is how do we live in that kind of culture? How, how do we engage uh, in, in that kind of culture? And we're gonna do that this morning uh, looking at the second chapter of Daniel, because uh, Daniel's sort of an interesting place for us. Uh, a little bit of background, Daniel and uh, was uh, a, considered a prophet in the Old Testament, one of the major prophets, but when he was a young man, either late teens or early 20s, uh, the, the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and he was part of the exiles that were taken to Babylon. Uh, Daniel uh, went with three of his friends, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they were taken uh, to Babylon and uh, they were brought into the Babylonian culture to be assimilated into the culture. That was the goal. Get the learned, uh, <coughs> get the influential, take them from Jerusalem, put them in Babylon and enculturate them, assimilate them into this culture. The idea is that that would keep people from revolting in, in Jerusalem, it would cement their place, it would cement their allegiance uh, to the Babylonian Empire. And so about 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar became the king uh, of the, Babyl the Babylonian Empire. And fairly quickly after he became the king, he put, got his eye on Jerusalem. You know, the Hebrews used to say that Jerusalem was the center uh, of the world. Well, they weren't far from that. In the Middle East in those days, uh, Jerusalem was very central geographically, and so it was a pathway 
often, uh, you know, for other countries. And what would happen is that countries would conquer, they would come into power, and they would immediately look at Jerusalem as one of the places that they wanted to own, one of the places that, that they, uh, they wanted to occupy, and that was true for Nebuchadnezzar. So he sent his army uh, into Jerusalem. They took over Jerusalem. They took about 10,000 of the most educated, the most influential people uh, in Jerusalem, moved them to, Babylonia, uh, to, to Babylon with the idea that they were going to assimilate them into that culture. They would no longer be Hebrews, but now they would be Babylonians. They would change their culture, change their ways. So you can imagine these four young guys, late teens, early 20s, they're taken from their homes. They're put into a foreign country. They're put into a country that has a different language, that's a different culture, uh, different morals. Uh, they eat different food. They live a completely different way. The Babylonians were considered a polytheistic uh, culture. That means they worshiped many gods. They worshiped all kinds of gods. If you were to go into Babylon during this period of history, you would find all kinds of temples and shrines uh, to, uh, to the gods that they worshiped. They just tried to cover all of them as best they could. And so there were a multitude of different gods that they worshiped, different religions that they would adhere to. Uh, and so they were all over the map. And you take these four young guys who worship the one god, and you plop them into that culture, and it would have had to felt overwhelming, I would think. And you would have to feel isolated, you'd have to feel alone, you'd, you would have to have some fear, all of those things. And, and so we're gonna pick up the story in the second chapter of Daniel, uh, where Daniel is living in that culture, and see what happens. It's called the exilic literature. Uh, it's the time of the exile. But, and before we actually get into the passage, I want to give you three principles, uh, three principles that we're going to highlight through the course of this sermon, uh, on the three principles for living a believing life in an unbelieving world. Three principles for living a believing life in an unbelieving world. And the first principle is prayer. Now, some of you are thinking, oh yeah, that's what they always have to say. That's what, we're in church, you know, that's what pastors always say. First is prayer. No, I'm telling you, if you come in with a bias about that, just stop it. Uh, we're, gonna show, we're gonna show you, that's my counseling technique too, in case you come in, stop it. Uh, but we're gonna talk about why prayer was so central to their life and their health. So the first principle is prayer. The second principle is live. How do you live? And the third principle for being a, living a believing life in an unbelieving culture is to hope. So pray, live, and hope. Now I have another uh, picture up here of a, uh, this is a clay tablet from the Babylonian era, era, roughly around 6 BC. And it's, the Babylonians wrote their history on clay tablets just like this one. So just for background, I wanna tell you that archeologists have found a clay tablet from Babylon uh, from this period that actually corroborates with the story that Daniel is gonna tell us in Daniel, the second chapter. So no, not only do we have evidence from Daniel in the scripture, but we also have corroborating evidence from the Babylonian chronicles, they called them, that were these clay tablets that we have um, uh, passed down since the sixth century BC. 
So here is, uh, here's the background of the story. Nebuchadnezzar is the king. He is, he's arguably the most powerful man on earth at this particular time. In fact, some scholars would, would argue that, that Nebuchadnezzar might be one of the top 20 most powerful kings that have ever lived in history. And so he's a big deal. He is all powerful. He is in charge of everything that his eye can see and beyond. Uh, Everything that he commands gets done. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has scares him to death. He is absolutely frightened by this dream. You see, dreams were a big deal in this part of the world in this uh, time in history, and Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and this dream so frightens him that he, get, he calls for help. And who does he call for help? He calls his enchanters, his sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were a conquered uh, ethnic group, but they were the astrologers of the day. So think of it this way. He has a dream. This dream scares him so much that he calls for his enchanters, his sorcerers, and his astrologers to tell him what's happened, to help him with this dream. Well, these guys are used to that. They get paid a lot of money to do it. They get a lot of prestige for doing this. And, and so they come to the king and they say, we got it, king, we're good. Um, tell us what the dream was and, and we'll interpret it for you. And, and we'll tell you w- what, what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar's a pretty smart guy and he's thinking to himself, you know what? They're just gonna get together and they're gonna come up with something that's gonna make me feel better and then wait for this to blow over. So I'm gonna change things. I'm gonna turn the tables this time and Nebuchadnezzar says, no, here's how we're gonna do it. If you guys are really good, if you're really smart, if you're really the wise men of this country, then you tell me what the dream was and then interpret it for me. You tell me what the dream was, and then you interpret it for me. And needless to say, that the enchanters and the sorcerers and the astrologers panicked. This is impossible. In fact, listen to this. In Daniel 2, 8, it says this, the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. So he's, here's what he says. I know that you're, you're trying to buy time here, but I'm serious about this, and, and see, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me what the dream was, and then I want you to interpret it, and if you can't, I'm gonna kill all you guys. Simple, straightforward, that's what's happening. There's a little tension in the room. There's a little panic going on, but it says that Nebuchadnezzar said, I know you're just trying to buy time. I'm gonna hold firm. So he holds firm, and if you do not make the dream known to me, There is but one sentence for you. (laughs) There's one outcome to this if you don't do this. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans, or the astrologers, answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This is absolutely impossible. Why are you even asking us this of us? Nobody can do this. 
Only the gods know this, and they're not made of flesh. They're not standing in front of you. Nobody can answer. Nobody can tell you what this dream was. This is impossible. It's not fair, and you're going to kill us because you've asked us to do something that's impossible. No man can do this. So word goes out. Nebuchadnezzar gives word to one of his military leaders, Arioch, and he says, I want you to round them all up and execute them. Go. And he starts rounding them up. And he gets to Daniel. Little Daniel. That's what his dad called him. Little Dan. He's a kid. He finds him. Arioch finds him. And he says, here's the deal. The king has called all of his wise men. And see, they considered the, the sons of, of Israel. They considered uh, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. They considered them some of the wise men because as far as they were concerned, those guys all, had, you know, the other wise men all adhered to some god or other or many gods. And, and so did these young guys had their god. And as far as they was, he was concerned, they were just kind of in the same bucket as everybody else. And, and so they have their god. And so you, you go to your god. But they could, he considered them wise men. And so he sent Arioch, this military leader, and he says, you, and, and he sends them out and he gets to Daniel and he tells Daniel what's happening. The king's had a dream. He can't sleep at night. He can't think about anything else. He's fearful about it. And he's called all of the wise men and they can't tell him what the dream was. And so they're all going to be executed. And Daniel says, do me a favor. Daniel says, uh, make an appointment with the king for me. And then I'll tell him what the dream was. He has no idea. But he believes in God. He trusts in God. And he says, make an appointment with the king. And then I'll tell him what the dream is. And then in Daniel 2, 17, it starts this. It says, Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Azariah his companions. <laughs> I love this verse. And he says to them, Seek mercy from uh, the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So here's Daniel. He says, make an appointment with the king. He tells Arioch, make an appointment with the king. Arioch goes back. Daniel goes to his buddies. He says, you guys, we're in trouble. Pray! Pray like crazy. Pray like you've never prayed before. Seek the mercy of God because otherwise we're in deep trouble. They're going to execute us. If I can't go before the king and tell him what this dream was, then we're done. They're going to kill us. And, we're, it's, and God is going to be defamed and, and God's reputation is going to be hurt. And he says, we need to pray. And so they prayed like crazy that God would hear them, that God would have mercy on them. And there are times in our lives when we find ourselves in hostile situations and we find ourselves frustrated or angry or fearful and we don't know what to do. And, and, and the word from Daniel makes sense to us in those moments that we need to pray to God for his mercy. We need to go with intensity. We need to go with seriousness because that's our first place. That's the first place that God calls us. He calls us to come to him. He says, I want your trust to be in me. I want you to pray hard. I want you to pray like crazy. And Daniel tells his friends, we need to pray for the mercy of God. And Daniel knew to do this because that's how he had grown up. That had been his whole life. And Daniel had something else, something else really important. 
Daniel had a letter. He had a letter. Jeremiah was one of the great prophets. In fact, Jeremiah in the Bible is called the weeping prophet. His heart was so broken for his people. And Jeremiah when it was in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem. And he wasn't part of that first wave. Ten, ten years later, there's another insurrection, and they take Jeremiah at that point to Babylon. But Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, and so he writes a letter to the Hebrews who are exiled into Babylon. And we see that letter in, Jer- in, in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. Verse 4 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I'm going to stop there and just say that the very first thing that God tells his people is, I've sent you there. You're my people and I have sent you to Babylon. There's a purpose. There's something for you here. There's a reason that you're here. I've sent you to Babylon. And then he continues to say, then here's what he says in verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For, it, uh, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they may dream, for it is a lie they are not prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And so here's what God says. I have sent you to Babylon. There's a reason that you're here. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to live your life. But the very first thing Daniel says, pray for the mercies of God. And then through the prophet Jeremiah, God says, and Pray for the benefit. Pray on behalf of the city. Pray for those who have you captive. Pray for those who have you under their control. Pray for the folks that are hostile to you. Pray for the culture. Pray for the city. Pray for the state. Pray for the nation. Give it all to the Lord, but pray that they would see God. Pray that they would, they would understand who God is, but pray for them. Pray for their welfare, he says. And so he gives us a really clear picture of what we're called to do. And the very first part of it is to pray. Pray to God for mercy, but also pray for the welfare of the city. Don't give up on that. We don't always see what God is doing, but we know what he's called us to do, and he has called us to pray. But we need to take that really seriously. We need to have urgency about it because it's our greatest weapon. It's our greatest tool in living in this culture today. And it was certainly Daniel's greatest tool in living where he was in that day. Daniel tells his friends, plead for mercy. And the prophet Jeremiah says, pray to the Lord on behalf of the city, but we're called to pray. And then Daniel goes to meet the king. Then Daniel goes to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's this young guy, this exile before the king. Daniel 2, 24 says this, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, 
whose name was Belshazzar? Are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? So, so Daniel goes before the king. But there's a really interesting little piece of this that I want to point out this morning. That when you, when you look at this verse, it says the king declared to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar. You see, Daniel has two names. Daniel is, his Hebrew name is Daniel, uh, which means God is my judge. And the, the name he was given in Babylon is Belshazzar, which means Baal, the God Baal is my judge. But Daniel has two names. Because you see, Daniel has dual citizenship. He is a child of God. He is a Hebrew. He is a child of God, and yet he is living in a foreign country. He's living in a hostile culture. And he is part of that culture. He is part of that city but he is also part of the kingdom of God. He is a citizen of heaven, and he has dual citizenship. Yes, he lives in Babylon, but his, his important role, his important citizenship, who he belongs to is God, and Daniel never forgets that. And you see, we find ourselves living today with dual citizenship. Yes, we live here, but we are citizens of heaven. We are children of God, that we belong to him, and it's in that context that we're called to live, to live our lives, to honor God with our lives. And that's the reason that we do the things that we do here. That's the reason that, that uh, Vacation Bible School, and I think I forgot to bring it up, but we had those care cans, and they're actually old tennis ball cans, right? And we filled them with uh, toothpaste and mouthwash and toothbrushes and all these little things so that when you're driving down the road and you see a homeless person on the side of the road that you don't just drive by but you stop and you reach into your back seat and you pull out a care can and you give them something to serve them to help them you see we go into the world in the name of Jesus and we live our lives and we build our houses and we have our families and we raise our kids to know Jesus and we understand that what Jesus called us to do in in the sermon on the mount is he says you are the light of the world that the world is going to see who I am the world is going to know me by how you live your lives by the fact that my light shines through you that you live your life in such a way that people see Jesus and they give him glory and so he's saying yes you live uh, in in a world that that is against so much of what you stand for but you are the only light that people are going to see we talk about Christianity we talk about so many things in our lives that are better caught than taught and I believe today that what the world needs to see is people who authentically love Jesus, authentically live for Christ, allow the light of Christ to shine through them, and that's the picture of Jesus that they're gonna see. That's the idea of Jesus that they're gonna get, and all of the rhetoric and all the arguments and all of those things are gonna fall by the wayside when they see people who really know Jesus and live for him and love him. And Daniel said, we pray and then we live. We build our houses, we raise our families, we raise our kids, we give them in marriage. We let people see what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. We live for him, and not because it looks good, but because it's who we are. It's because of what Christ has done in our lives. It's because he is real in us. 
you know, if there's one great message that comes out of this, it's that we pursue Jesus. It's that we follow him, that there should be an intensity about our relationship with Christ today in the middle of everything that's going on that we've never had before so that the world will know who Christ is, so that the world will see the love of Jesus. So Daniel goes before the king, takes his two names. Oh, by the way, his buddies, they had two names also. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were actually Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to talk about them this summer too. But those, that, those were their uh, Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they are also children of God. They belong to him. Well, Daniel goes to the king. In verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, uh, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and your visions of your head as you lay on your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. So he is telling, he is telling Nebuchadnezzar that let me tell you what your dream is about. Your dream is about the future. Your dream is about what is to come. What after this and and then he goes on to say but as for me the mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind so here's what Daniel says to the king he says yep this is something that none of your enchanters none of your sorcerers none uh, of your astrologers can understand they're not going to get it they're not going to be able to tell you what the dream is but there is a God in heaven who knows all things. There is a God in heaven who knows all of the mysteries and we are pleading to that God of heaven. We are pleading to the true God, the one God. We're asking him, tell us what this is. Be faithful to us, Lord. Daniel's standing before Nebuchadnezzar. He is in exile living in a foreign culture. Nebuchadnezzar has the power. Uh, he is um, so powerful that uh, history says that, that he had lions chained on either side of his throne just as a demonstration of his greatness and his power. Uh, that's Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says there's a God who in, in heaven who is outside of all of this, who is greater than all of this, who reveals mysteries. Daniel's faith, his courage is based on what he knows of God. Nebuchadnezzar believed in all kinds of gods and Daniel is pointing him to the true God. So now Daniel starts to reveal the meaning of the dream and here's what he says in verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image was mighty and of exceeding brightness. The sun reflected off of it so much that you had to squint to look at this. He says, stood before you and had the appearance was frightening. So there's a great statue that, that he dreams of and, and Daniel's gonna describe the statue but I want you to understand that Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. Nebuchadnezzar had a goal that he was gonna build this great golden statue and actually he would do that later on. We'll, we'll talk about that this summer but he was gonna build this great golden statue and the idea was this was gonna be so magnificent. It was gonna be a replica of Nebuchadnezzar. It was gonna be a statue of him 
And when all of the people of Babylon saw this statue, they would kneel down in front of the statue and they would worship Nebuchadnezzar. That's the big vision. Well, now he sees a different kind of statue. And here's what, uh, here's what Daniel says. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them to pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the whole earth. Here's the picture, Neb. Here's what you saw. It was a great statue, and it was brilliant. When the sun shone on it, you had to squint to look at it. And its head was of gold. And that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. You are the great king. But after you is going to come another kingdom. And we know about 70 years later, the Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians. And he says, that that." group, and, and Daniel actually lived to see this, but that, that group, that's the silver. That's the arms and the torso. But after the Medo-Persians is going to be another group. And they're the Greeks, and they're going to rule everything. And they're, they're represented uh, by the, the, they're represented by the bronze. But after them, another empire is going to rise up. The Romans and they're represented in the feet as iron. But there's a problem with the iron at the bottom, at the feet, there's clay. And the, at the feet, the iron and the clay get mixed up and it's not as stable. And so you have this picture and this came out just exactly as Daniel had pro- prophesied. This turned out exactly as he had said that we had the, the, w- that we had the Babylonian Empire and that was followed by the Medo-Persian Empire which was followed by the Greek Empire which was followed by the Roman Empire but sooner or later all of those empires are going to crumble. Sooner or later all of those empires are going to fall and here's what he said. There's going to be a great stone that comes out of a mountain and it's a stone that's not made by human hands and here's what he's saying that all of those empires are run by men all of those empires have been uh, have been built by human hands and there's an empire coming there's a culture coming there's a nation coming that's not built with human hands but it's by the God of the universe it's by the creator of the universe and that stone is going to hit the feet of that statue and it is going to crumble it's going to burst it it's going to break it apart and when it does the whole statue is going to crumble and it's going to be blown blown away and his kingdom will establish from the whole earth that's what you saw in Nebuchadnezzar that's the dream that you saw how are you feeling about yourself Nebuchadnezzar saw that and here's what he says in verse 44 and in those and in the days of those kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to other another people it shall break to pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain made by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king that uh, what shall be after this. This dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. That's what's gonna happen. 
Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what Daniel is saying. We've prayed and we live and now we have hope because we know that God isn't finished. That someday God is gonna take all the great nations and all the power struggles and all the politics and all of that and he is going to crush those and he is going to establish his kingdom and it's a kingdom with no end. It's an eternal kingdom and we know that's how this finishes. We know that's how this ends, that God is still God. God is the creator of the universe. He is the great one. He is the Alpha Omega. He has the majesty. He has the power and he will establish his kingdom on earth and we know that's going to happen. As sure as we know that, the, that Nebuchadnezzar was the, the, the ruler of the world, but then he was overtaken by the Medo-Persians, that they were overtaken by the Greeks, that they were overtaken by the Romans, that God isn't finished, that God still has a plan, and he is going to establish his kingdom. And we who follow Christ have hope because we know that his word is true. We know that God isn't finished. We know what he's going to do. And we live with that hope, that assurance. Uh, we, here's an interesting verse. Verse 46 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered to him. So, so, so here's what we know. Nebuchadnezzar didn't get it. Nebuchadnezzar just took Daniel as another wise man. He didn't get it at that point. He just thought, wow, this is amazing. You are the best of the best. You are the wisest of the wise. Daniel told him, there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. That's what this is about. And, and he still missed it. But it doesn't mean it isn't happening. It still happened. It's continuing to happen. And God is still at work. Eventually, all kingdoms will be placed by an eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. And we know that when Christ lives in us, that we are part of his kingdom. And we know that we live in a kingdom that is real, but there's more to come. And so here's, here's the idea. How do we live a believing life in an unbelieving world? First, we pray. We know that Daniel immediately made this matter known to his friends, and he asked them to pray to God for mercy, and there's something very moving about this. There's something really powerful about this, that here are these four young guys Imagine four students being exiled into what is, we now know is Iraq. And there they pray. So we believe that this is the first recorded student prayer meeting in history. That they prayed. And we're called to pray. And then we live. You see, here's the temptation for us. We find ourselves in a hostile culture and we either assimilate or we separate, right? We either assimilate so we want to get along. We don't want to be labeled a certain way. We don't want to make everybody mad. We, and so we just assimilate into the culture or out of our fear or anger, whatever it is, we, we separate ourselves and, and we just try to get in our own little safe place and safe group and, and we're going to be over here. And, and what Daniel says is that God calls us not to do either one of those, not to assimilate or to separate, but he says, I want you to live. I want you to be the picture of Jesus in this world. I've put you here for a reason. You're a light in a dark place. Live for him. Reflect him. Allow him to grow in your life. Take your relationship with Jesus really seriously. 
and serve him. And then finally, we hope. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in his, his eternal kingdom. Listen to how, how Jeremiah finished his letter to the exiles. It says this in Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 11, he says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I am not done yet. And I don't call you to hopelessness. I don't call you to despair. But I have a plan for you plan for your future and a plan for your hope and so we live in that tension we live in the middle of that here's what we know that that we live in the here and in the not yet we are citizens of the kingdom of God we belong to Christ and we live that life and yet we know that there is more coming that he's not done that his kingdom will be established for eternity that we know that Christ is coming back. And so we live in that place of the here and the not yet. But we live by faith because we trust Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful this morning that we can find hope in the middle of uh, chaos that we've, we see in the world. Lord, we know that there's a temptation to either assimilate or to separate, and yet what you've called us to is to pray, to live, and to hope. Give us that courage, Lord, to, to do that. Lord, make us your light in a world that so desperately needs to see you. We love you, we praise you, we give you thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen.